So I'll invite you to open your Bible to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. And we had just looked at last time the parable of the soils, a well-known parable that would have been a lot easier to hear in a straightforward way. And without Jesus' interpretation of the parable, there's no way we would know what that talk about seeds and soil is about. But Jesus told us what it's about. And he intentionally said it to the crowd in a story-like way, in an allegorical way. He talked about the different kinds of seed, the different kinds of soils, and the seed that fell on the hard ground, and the thorns, and, and all of that to show us Something about the reception of the message of the kingdom. Something about Jesus' agenda, his coming to this world and announcing the kingdom of God and the gospel. Jesus is showing us something about that kingdom and about how it's received. And so immediately following that explanation of the parable, Jesus wants to talk to us further about how we hear and how we listen to the word of God. So let's begin by looking at Mark chapter 4, and today we'll just look at four verses, verse 21 through 25. And I'll ask you this question, how do you listen? How do you listen? How's your listening? Mark chapter 4, verse 21 to 25. And he was saying to them, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand, is it? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. It's the very word of God. I remember as a kid being in the doctor's office and seeing some of those posters on the wall, those vivid illustrations of human anatomy. And the one that I remember more than anything else is that in-depth picture and illustration of the human ear. Remember that one? I mean, ears are extraordinarily complicated, aren't they? And it's because hearing really is something to behold. And it was in that early image of the, the ear And having the doctor in your checkup as a little kid put that thing in your ear and look in there. And maybe even if you had a friendly pediatrician, he he showed you that poster on the wall and showed you how complicated your ear is. Or maybe he warned you, don't put anything in your ear. Because hearing is complicated. Ears are important. They take in sound and they turn it into something our brains understand. And the way that works is astounding. I remember that chart and 
when you Google it up, you know, whenever I try to find something scientific, I always add the word for kids to the end. And I'm told by, you know, scienceforkids.com or some website like that, that the ear has three parts. The outer ear, the middle ear, and the inner ear. And the outer ear, sorry, there's a swarm of insects up here. I'm being attacked by bees. Um, My hearing and my reflexes are, are challenging. The outer ear is the pinna or the oracle. It's this part that you see. It's the visible part of the ear. Maybe you have big ears or tiny ears or cute ears or sticky out ears. But whatever you have, those are pinas or oracles. And they're shaped in such a way as to gather sound. And they're connected. That outer ear has another part, the ear canal. And that's just the tube where sound travels from that catching device further in called the auditory canal. And, and then the part we all know about, that thin membrane called the eardrum. And you've known someone who burst their eardrum in some accident or something. And it's extremely painful. It's a thin sheet and it, it vibrates like the, the head of a drum when sound hits it. And it's very fragile and, and sensitive. It's why the box of Q-tips says on it, in such a mysterious way, do not put in ear. What are they for? (laughs) They're trying to protect your eardrum, fragile and sensitive as it is. That's your outer ear. From there, you go to the middle ear. Similar to Middle Earth, it's a place of mystery. There's three bones in it, and it's full of air, sealed off by that that drum, that tiny membrane. And and those three bones, tiny little bones, are called ossicles. And I remember them from the chart too because one was labeled hammer and anvil and stirrup. And you think, there's a hammer in my ear and an anvil and a stirrup. And the stirrup is the smallest bone in your entire body. And those bones amplify the sound in that air chamber and transfer it deeper into the ear into a place that's full of fluid. And that's called your inner ear. And inside your inner ear is that most precious organ for hearing that's essential to hear anything. It's your uh, cochlea. It's where you've heard cochlear implant, that thing that that when you don't have a functioning hearing organ, they they put this kind of computer thing in that, that functions in its place. It's your hearing organ, and it's all about vibration and electrical signals and nerves that transfer these these vibrations, these sounds to our brain and translate them to something we can understand. In that fluid area, there's these tiny little hairs that that vibrate like waves in the ocean inside that fluid and and that fluid-filled tubes are in there. And if you've ever had an inner ear problem, it, it can be related to those tubes because they are essential for you to be able to balance There's a lot going on with your hearing. And not only that, you have two ears likely, and that affects your balance and your perception of a sound to know which side it's on and how far away it is. And everybody can kind of hear in in different levels, especially according to your age or your species. Dolphins can't hear as low as we can. They could just hear like, and that's it. 
Dogs can hear things that we can't hear, and cats and, and teenagers can hear differently. Have you ever done that experiment? Like your science teacher plays that sound that hurts teenagers' ears, but it doesn't hurt older people's ears because the frequency, your ability to hear changes as you get older. There, there's sounds that only teenagers can hear that no one else can hear or tolerate. I can't hear that. (laughs) Only young people can hear that. I don't think that's exactly how the experiment works. You can send angry emails to aduncan at (laughs) gracechurch.org. Presbycusis. That's not the people who baptize babies. That's that's your, your loss of hearing that just happens naturally as you age. And that's what I want you to be thinking about this morning. I want you to be thinking about your ability to hear. And not just in a biological sense or a physiological sense. I want you to think about what it means to really hear and perceive and and translate that to understanding. Ancient philosophers talked a lot about the different aspects of, of hearing and understanding and and taking something into a form of, of deep conviction. And, and that's what Jesus has in mind as he talks to us after telling us that story of, of the different ways that people receive and hear the message of the kingdom, the gospel, uh, the announcement that Jesus has come to declare victory in this fallen world and to uh, achieve all his intention to seek and save lost sinners. He moves after that parable and it's, it's detailed explanation given only to the disciples to giving a series of parables that follow. And the ones in verses 21 through 25, there's really two of them and they're very brief. One about a lamp and what about a measurement? And then he gives these parabolic statements around them that are so difficult to understand and, and that are very challenging and, and at the same time very familiar to us. We, we all know the hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. I, I thought I didn't put that in the right spot, but you know what I mean. We've all grown up hearing these words, but do we really understand what it means for us if we're to be good listeners to the word of God? And I don't just mean, you know, do you pay attention when someone's preaching? You know, do you, are you able to sit and listen to John MacArthur and take careful notes? That's, that's just a part of this. It's truly, how does the word of God hit you? And how do you take it all in? In this passage, I think there's, There's three movements you're trying to understand in the principle of listening and truly hearing the word of God. And the first one is the principle of revelation. The principle of revelation. And look at verse 21. It says, is a lamp lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Matthew and Luke both use this in different contexts. Likely Jesus would oftentimes in different circumstances use uh, parables in repeated ways. 
Uh, Not only that, but Mark is intentionally arranging the teachings of Jesus to accomplish what he's trying to show us, showing us, you know, that Jesus has something to say about the nature of true discipleship and about who it is who can really hear what Jesus is trying to say. And so this very familiar uh, little miniature parable about the purpose of a lamp is on the lips of Jesus probably more often than we would realize, and in this occasion, likely the same occasion of the, the preaching of the parable of the soils, Jesus just simply asks a question about an ordinary lamp. And you've probably seen one of these little lamps. It's the most common kind of item found in ancient Near Eastern archaeology. Uh, they were made of clay. They sort of look like a rudimentary version of a genie lamp, you know, kind of longer like that. But uh, they're very simple because they're, they're made of pottery and they were filled with olive oil in the, the cavern part of it. And then the the, the snout of it or the, the long part was where the wick would come out and part of it would be inside the olive oil and it would soak up onto that string and it would provide a, a bright light in a very dark room. Nothing like the light and illumination we understand through electricity, but in a very dark world, any little lamp would do, but it only would really do its job if it was placed in the right spot. If you have a little candle in a, in a dark room or uh, had a small flashlight in a time of uh, an electrical outage in your house, you understand how much of a contrast that can be. And so Jesus, in a way employing sarcasm, says, why would you bring a lamp into the room to cover it with a, a basket or a bowl or to put it underneath a bed? Instead, it's supposed to be placed on a stand. And what he's talking about here is he's talking about revelation and illumination. The lamp is the proclamation of the kingdom of God. There's something that's supposed to be revealed. And I think the reason he's saying this is what he said in the middle of his parable just to his disciples. Go back to chapter 4 verse 10. Remember, Jesus said that thing was, that was so confounding. He said as soon as he was alone, his followers along with the 12 began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery or the secret of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables. And we were reminded that parables aren't like cute stories to help you learn stuff. The opposite, actually. The function of parables is twofold. It's to reveal to those who have the explanation, but to conceal from those who don't. And so Jesus taught in parables not to further understanding, but to conceal the understanding of those who were hard of heart. And when we hear the words to those outside, everything is in parables. And then his quotation from the book of Isaiah in verse 12, seeing they may see and not perceive, and while hearing they may hear and not understand, otherwise they might return and be forgiven. We start to realize that Jesus isn't this victim of people's decisions and choices, but he's actually sovereign over who his followers are. And that's incredible. I mean, the, the passage he's, he's quoting is from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 says this, 
This is God commissioning Isaiah the prophet. Go and tell this people. Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, and their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. And Isaiah asks Yahweh, how long do I have to do this? Because God just told him, go and preach judgment to these people that they will not receive. Go reinforce their hard-heartedness. And God says he has to do that until the cities are devastated, until judgment has truly come to them, and until there will be this sprout on the stump, the tree that's cut down, until the Messiah comes. There's a judicial kind of nature to these parables. They're not cute, they're alarming. They're not clarifying unless God clarifies them for you. And the way that this verse about the lamp is translated, I think doesn't totally help us get it. It's put in the uh, objective case. Uh, A lamp is brought in. The lamp is the object of the sentence. But in Greek, it's not like that. But it would be weird to translate it in Greek because people are so used to this story about the lamp. But this is how it actually reads is like this. Does the lamp, definite article, does the lamp, subject to the sentence, does the lamp come in order that it might be placed under a bowl or under the bed? Jesus personifies the lamp and he talks about it as the lamp. And it's like the lamp is, is, is strolling into the room. Does the lamp come into this room, Mr. Lamp? You walk in here so that somebody would snuff you out or put a bowl over you or put you in some obscure corner or so you'd be put on a lampstand and do your job. That's what lamps are for. And by personifying this lamp, he puts even more attention on it. He makes it an even more interesting parable. The lamp is at the center of this thing. In the Old Testament, the lamp was sometimes referring to God, sometimes the Davidic Messiah. At other times, the the scriptures itself, the Torah, is a lamp unto our feet. But here it appears that this lamp is standing in for the message of the kingdom. Or maybe more specifically, the lamp is standing in for Jesus himself. Because what is the kingdom of God apart from the king? What is the kingdom of God apart from the one who is ushering in his rule and presence and authority? If the kingdom of God is the rulership of God, the dominion of God, and if at the coming and incarnation of Jesus, that kingdom is starting to break into this world, starting to be seen and perceived, it's being inaugurated, and the announcement is anticipating a fuller and fuller realization of this kingdom that will be seen in part in Jesus' coming, but in full at Jesus' return and in the age to come, if the lamp is brought in to be seen, to put up on a lampstand, if this message of the kingdom of God, which is causing such opposition and hostility from the religious establishment in Jesus' day, if it's really starting to be seen, the lamp is, is glowing and shining and illuminating Jesus himself. 
You see, the stubborn rejection that's being judged by these parables, like Isaiah's prophecy did, these parables are actually like all divine revelation. All of Scripture, whether it's in story form or not, is used by God to accomplish His sovereign purposes. And so I think this parable is put here so that we wouldn't think, well, it seems like Jesus doesn't care if anyone hears, according to verse 11 and 12. That if he's about this this concealing ministry, then why did he even come? And Jesus is saying, as he says in other places in the Gospel of John, I am the light of the world. And if you can see him, you can see what God is doing in the world. And when Jesus says, I am the lamp or I am the light, he is showing that his work is undeniable and his ministry is purposeful. John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can not overcome it. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is not only carrying this lamp in to a sin-darkened world, he is the light illuminating this world. And there are people who cannot see what he's doing and cannot hear what he's doing, but so many of them will be transformed by the beholding of this light and through the power of the illuminating power of Jesus. John Calvin is is known for a doctrine. Most people associate him with the doctrine of election. But the doctrine Calvin is most distinct on is the doctrine of illumination. J.I. Packer says illumination is the process by which God's Holy Spirit enables us to understand his word and apply it to our own lives. We get that image, right? You know, if you have an idea, you go light bulb, right? It popped into your head. You get it. You've come to a realization. Well, illumination is the process that the Holy Spirit uses to employ the word of God on the heart of a hearer to make us see it and perceive it and believe it. And the word is always objective. The word is always straightforward. The word is always uh, either incarnate or written. It is the objective testimony of truth that is pressed on hearers, but the spirit, God's Holy Spirit, works together to open blind eyes, to see the word, to truly hear it. Jim Boyce said it this way, the word without illumination of the Holy Spirit remains a closed book. And so you can imagine how fruitful your Bible reading is when your book remains like this. But the Holy Spirit opens that book and shows you the truth. Friend, if you believe the gospel The reason that's the case is not because you're super sleuthy and you figured it out. If you believe the gospel, the reason that is isn't because you're such a good student and you're just so so fastidious and you really you really got in there and you know, like a crossword puzzle, sharpened your pencil and 
figured it out. If you believe the gospel, if you're a part of this kingdom, ultimately that's because God opened your eyes. At the same time, that same illumination, revelation, can be judicial for those who continue to harden their hearts. You see that in this, even in this parable, Jesus is maintaining both divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Look what he says in verse 22. Nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. This is the explanation of the parable. The parable, there's two parables in this passage, both marked out by those little statements, and he said to them in verse 21 and 24. The parable first is lamp. The explanation is verse 22. The transition is verse 23, a sentence we've heard before. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And then the next parable is that measurement parable followed by the explanation in verse 25. I tell you that to show you if you want to understand what it means to have a lamp. If you listen to Matthew, he tells you that that lamp is your responsibility to proclaim the gospel, to be a light. If you listen to Luke, that lamp has to do with judgment and with the coming of the kingdom. But what Mark's nuance is when he talks about bringing a lamp in not to cover, but to shine and to show, it's verse 22. Nothing is hidden except to be made manifest nor is anything secret, it's that word mysterion again from verse 11, except to come to light. Here's what Jesus is saying about the nature of the announcement of his kingdom, about his revelation of himself being rejected by so many, but being followed by crowds that are a mixture of genuine disciples and temporary disciples that have bad motives and are in it for all the wrong reasons. He says, in the end, this light will show how everything really is. Nothing hidden will not remain hidden. And nothing that is secret will not be brought out into the light. And so this should help us not only recognize that God is sovereign over our hearing, but that we are responsible for the things that are concealed because everything we think is secret will be brought out. And that's true whether it's a divine secret like the nature of this kingdom, not being a political one, which is what the next passage is going to be all about talks about mustard seeds, which is so remarkable because if you thought, hey, let's just imagine what God's kingdom was going to be like. I mean, I'd have elephants on parade and like an awesome throne and like a band. And I mean, how would you announce God's kingdom? How would you compare it? He's going to use mustard seeds instead, tiny little seeds. Everything hidden will be shown. Divine things like the nature of the kingdom. And human things like hard-heartedness and sin. Whatever secret you've got under wraps, it's not going to stay under wraps. When Jesus says these words in Matthew, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about that the secret things in your life will be shouted from the rooftops. That's why it's so important that your sin 
of listening, or I'm sorry, your sin of failing to listen to the word of God is one that you need to come out with. Make it known, make it clear, because it will be made clear eventually. That lamp is reminding us that only spiritual people can discern spiritual things, 1 Corinthians 2.14. And hidden things are becoming apparent. Hard hearts, secret sin, and God's judicial purposes, yes, are to further harden hard hearts in many cases. But this lamp also is able to break through those stony hearts, those dark spaces, and reveal what God is really doing when he transforms someone from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Because that is what a lamp is for. Lamps aren't ultimately for, in this parable, making stuff dark. They're for bringing things to light. So let the word of God shine in your life. Expose the deeds of darkness and embrace the son of God who came to set God's kingdom in order and it begins inside of you. Because that's what the lamp is for. Lamps are for enlightening. Lamps are for revealing. Lamps are for exposing. Lamps are for shining forth. That's why it doesn't make any sense to hide from God or to be a secret disciple of God. That's why Matthew says in the same kind of language, let your light so shine before men that they might glorify God. Don't hide it because it won't stay hidden. God will expose all of us for what we truly are. That's the principle of revelation. Second, there's a need for response in verse 23, and it's a verse we've already heard earlier in the chapter. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Again, Jesus didn't come to condemn ultimately. He came to save. Yes, he will condemn those who refuse him. Yes, he will condemn his enemies. But Jesus's purpose in coming is to be that great physician who's there to help sinners who know they have need of God's forgiveness. And so Jesus announces, like all the prophets before him, a clarion cry, listen, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. And it's the same words that the author of Hebrews picked up on and said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It's the essential nature of hearing. You must respond to the word of God. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing. Or Ephesians 1, 13, Paul talks about the Ephesians and says, after you have heard the word of truth. They believed after they heard the word of truth and that hearing is so essential. It's why some of you who are wondering, like, has God ever really worked in my heart? Need to do everything in your power to put yourself constantly under the word of God and ask God to open your eyes and ask God to soften your heart and ask God to reveal your sin and ask God to cover it with the blood of Jesus and continue to sit under the preaching of the word, continue to open your Bible even when your spiritual desires are at a low ebb because you know that this is what God will use. He'll use the word and he'll use the hearing of the word 
to illuminate, enliven. And so Jesus commands us there. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Maybe you're in a dilemma. You're like, I, I don't know if God's hardening my heart or softening my heart. I, I've been you know, in this, this mix for a long time trying to figure it out. And I hope you hear the words of Jesus as an invitation. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Because that's what lamps are for. They're for showing you the glory and beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ and the nature of his unstoppable kingdom. A third point and a final parable in this section, the third point is the consequences of rejection. The consequences of rejection, starting in verse 24. Here's the parable. Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that's not a great parable. And it's because you don't understand it, just on a most basic level. It's from another world. We don't think about measure like they did. You see, the most elemental part of life for them was grain. You can get water from a well, a public well, but grain had to be acquired by the labor of your hands. And if you didn't have grain, you couldn't maintain life. It was the most essential part of their sustenance. If you've traveled in the third world, you've eaten something like grain. Uh, sometimes it's like a, a kind of pulpy plant. It's, it's whatever is most abundant and available. It's usually carbohydrate. It's affordable. It's cheap. It's, it's available. That's what grain was in their world. It was most basic for human survival. And so the way you got the grain mattered. The price that you paid mattered. If there was a, a drought, the grain would be expensive and that would cause a great strain on the, the lowest levels of society because people needed grain to live. And that word measure is talking about the grain market. And you knew where you would go to get grain. And there was places that you would never go to get grain because when you would walk away, you pay your money and your bag felt a little too light. You didn't have a scale at your house. They didn't have like the digital thing or the produce thing at the grocery store. They had a very kind of rudimentary scale. And the person who was selling was the one who did the weighing. And so if he wasn't trustworthy, you were going to get cheated. And this wasn't like you got a little less toothpaste in your tube. This was your family wouldn't have enough to eat. Your children could go hungry if the grain guys got a faulty scale. And so employing that concept of measurement that everyone in this society was aware of and playing off of what is it that, that seeds do anyway? They become grain. They become a harvest. And so he's staying on theme here with his agrarian parables. And he says, pay attention to what you hear. The command is the same as verse 23, but this one carries a warning. If verse 23 and 21 are an invitation, verse 24 and 25 are a threat. 
Jesus has announced the nature of the kingdom. And as he has these disciples gathered around him, explaining to them how this works, how is it that someone is transformed by the message? How is it that they become a spiritually fruitful person? He looks them in the eyes and he tells them, pay attention. Wake up and pay attention to what you hear. Why? Because the measure you use will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. You use a bad measure, you're going to get bad measure. You use a good measure, you're going to get good measure. Faulty weight, faulty weight for you. This is just the general principle of fair dealing. And, and if you're, you're using good measures, there's an investment there, and, and more will be added to you. That's the concept most basically in verse 24. We've already learned that hidden things become apparent, but now he's showing us that after that time comes and everything is brought to light, that you you need to be aware that it's going to matter how you listened, how you heard. Did you pay attention? Because the way that you heard and received will matter forever to your soul. Let Jesus explain it in verse 25. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who doesn't have, even what he has will be taken away. Whoa. We're talking about hearing the message of the kingdom, the announcement of Jesus as the Savior of the world. We're talking about the light that came into this world and to him who have received him, to all those who've received Jesus, you know what they get? If they received him with an open heart, with a fair measure, with an admission of sin, with an awareness of their need for light and forgiveness and salvation and healing and grace, you know what you get? More grace, more grace, more light, more healing, more forgiveness. That's the nature of this kingdom transaction. If you enter into it like a child with your ears wide open and your heart wide open, Jesus will give you more and more and more. But if you are miserly and a false listener and one of those plants that sprouts up and then the cares of the world choke you out or, or somebody who's in it for who whatever reasons you might come to listen or there that are bad reasons, whether you're here to to meet girls or here because you want to make your grandma not mad at you or or just because you're lonely or, or whatever other reasons, if you haven't fully received the message of the kingdom, if you have not fully embraced Jesus, illuminate, let him illuminate all your sin so that it might be forgiven. If you are a partial disciple, if you are a fake follower, then even what you have will be taken away from you. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Pay attention to what you hear because the consequences of rejecting the revelation that you've received, even if it's a little, but especially if it's a lot, could be devastating to your soul. That's why 
growing up in a church like this one is so dangerous. To be taught theology from your infant days, to be trained to memorize Scripture from when you were just tiny little thing and they give you a badge, weak. And you've sat and listened to so many sermons. And some of you, your testimony is, God used that because one day he broke through my sin and rebellion and he showed me my need for Jesus and I, I, I threw myself at his feet and I found forgiveness and grace and, and all I get is more and more grace as I follow him. But for others of you, who still got all kinds of secrets, all kinds of doors closed in your life, but you keep hearing the word and you keep hearing the word and it, it keeps coming at you, but it falls on a path that's like a stone path and it just bounces off and, and the devil grabs it or the cares of the world choke it or, or you're just not really following Jesus. You've heard this your whole life. That word that produces a harvest, that seed that, that has transformed and changed so many of the people that are sitting around you is actually just piling judgment on your head. And that little bit of light that you've been given which is completely evidence of the grace of God, will be taken away from you. And you'll be left in the dark, rightly under the judgment of God. Proverbs 13, 4 says, the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. You can't walk away from this sermon going, well, God's in control. He'll illuminate me if he wants. Because you won't be able to say that to him on that final day to his face. You are to be diligent to hear. Last night, the kids were outside. Some of their friends were over. It was dark. And in our cul-de-sac, they like to play hide and seek. And Ollie Joe, the little one, came and told me that was a bad game of hide-and-seek. And I said, what made it bad? It's just bad. People weren't hiding good. The kingdom message was hidden really good by God himself. And it has been revealed over the course of human history by prophets by Torah, by law, by movements of history through God's covenant people. And then the day dawned when Jesus came and announced the kingdom of God among you. And then he consummated that kingdom with his death and resurrection. And his followers have been preaching the gospel of that kingdom ever since for thousands of years. And they've been gathering in those who see it, those who hear it, those who really receive it. And it's going to keep going like that for a long time. That which is hidden has been revealed and will be revealed and revealed and revealed some more. And I'm urging you, you need to seek it. Come to Jesus and hear his words truly and let them transform you completely 
by faith take hold of the Son of God who loves you and gave his life for you. And recognize the incredible privilege you have of sitting under the word of God. A word that can transform you or a word that can condemn you. Father, thank you for your power to open blind eyes and raise sinners from the dead. You are our true hope. And your message is a life-giving one. And so, Father, I pray for anyone here who has a hard heart towards you, that you would grant them ears to hear and that they wouldn't fool themselves for another minute in thinking that you can't see who they truly are. Father, may they come to you with their, their heart open before you in confession of sin and, and trusting in Jesus and the grace that only he can provide. And God, would you grant them mercy and grace and peace and new life. Thank you, Father, for the, the message of the kingdom. And I pray that we would truly hear it. In Jesus' name, amen.